Well, good morning. If you have your copy of God's Word, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 9. We'll be in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 18. <clears throat> We've been working our way through the Gospel of Luke, and through the last few chapters, we have seen Jesus teach with authority, and we have seen him perform all sorts of miracles. He's cast out demons. He's calmed a storm. He's healed many, many people. In our passage last week, we saw that he fed a crowd of over 5,000 people. And the main point, not the only point, but the main point of all of these miracles was to show that Jesus is the promised one that God promised to send and save his people from their sins. So keep that in mind as we look at our passage this morning, Luke 9, 18 through 27. <clears throat> now it happened that as Jesus was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. This is God's holy word that cannot and does not fail. <clears throat> Throughout the years, a lot of my personal possessions have been stored in these huge plastic storage totes. And the accumulation of all my stuff in the totes has just been sitting at my stepdad's shop for many years, some of them for over 10 years. And finally, this fall, I got all of my totes, and we have been slowly going through all of my stuff. And I have to say, it's been really hard to let go of some things. You know, like my third grade peewee, baseball shirt, because we were 21 and 0 that year. I want to hold on to that memory. Um, I have a whole tub full of bowling and karate trophies from elementary school. Um, not really into bowling or karate anymore, but I want to hold on to those things. I have shirts from over 15 years ago that still fit me. I wore one yesterday. I just want to hold on to them because they're so awesome. I also found this sweet CD player. Yeah. Thank you, Whitney. We used to listen to this thing after college track practice. 
So I just want to hold on to this thing because I want to hold on to that memory, to those memories, even though like who has a CD player anymore, right? I also have um, my chin strap from my football helmet in high school, which was a long time ago. And I have my gloves. I was a wide receiver, so I have my gloves and they stink so bad. But I just want to hold on so tightly to these things because I want to hold on to those moments of joy that those things carry with them. What are some things that you are holding on to? It might not be a possession. It might be money. It might be a job or a certain lifestyle. It might be control. It might be your appearance. It might be a secret sin. We hold on to these things because we're looking for it. Whatever it may be, it might be joy or peace or fulfillment or contentment or approval. What are you holding on to? This morning, I want to encourage you to let go of everything and hold on to Jesus. And I believe this passage gives us two reason, two reasons to let go of everything and hold on to Jesus. So first, hold on to Jesus because he's the one that you need from verses 18 through 22. And second, hold on to Jesus because he is worth it, verses 23 through 27. So first point this morning, hold on to Jesus because he is the one that you need. So our passage today comes directly after Jesus fed the crowd of 5,000. And after he did that, he went and he prayed, and the disciples were with him. Now this is a common theme of Jesus's, to withdraw and to pray after performing miracles and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And even in this, God is teaching us something. This teaches us the importance of prayer and deep, intimate fellowship with God. That Jesus after working hard for God, didn't rest from God. He works for God and he rests for God by spending time in prayer with him. In other words, Jesus' whole life is entirely devoted and dedicated to God the Father. Now, during this particular prayer time, the disciples were with him. And Jesus asked the disciples, Who do the crowds say that I am? Now, just remember that Jesus was really famous at this time for his miracles and his teaching. And there were crowds of people, crowds of over 5,000, like we saw last week, and they would follow him around. And so Jesus asks his disciples, who do these crowds, who do they say that I am? The disciples answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah. And others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Now, these were very significant answers. The crowds believed that Jesus was a prophet sent from God. Even some people believed that he had been risen from the dead and that he was this prophet sent from God. They had a really high view of who Jesus was. But they didn't really know who he was because Jesus is far greater than any of these things. And so Jesus continues and he asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? This is probably the most important question 
that you could ever answer. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he just some dude? Is he just a good teacher? Is he just a good example? Is he God in the flesh? Is he the savior of the world? Who do you say that Jesus is? Peter answered, and he said that Jesus is the Christ of God. The Christ of God is the Messiah, or to say it in another way, the Christ of God is the anointed one of God who was promised way back in the third, or the third chapter of Genesis, all the way through the Old Testament. The Christ is not only a prophet, but he is the one who fulfills all Old Testament prophecy. He is the one promised by God who would come and save his people from their sins. He is the one God promised to anoint with the Holy Spirit and to restore a broken humanity. He is the one promised to come and to seek the lost. Jesus is this one. Jesus is the Christ. He is the one who fulfills all Old Testament prophecies and promises. And by implication, that means that he is the one who fulfills the emptiness in our hearts. He is the one that we are looking for to fulfill this joy and contentment. He is the one who will give us everlasting peace and approval by God. Jesus is the one that you need because Jesus is the Christ. Nothing else will satisfy only Jesus. And holding on to things of this world is like drinking from a muddy puddle. It will never satisfy. And long term will probably get you sick. But holding on to Jesus is like drinking from the flowing river of life. He is the only one who can satisfy this longing in your heart. So let go of everything and hold on to Jesus. And let me just clarify what I mean by when I say let go of everything. See, we're holding on to things with a tight fist and we're just holding on so tightly. When I say let go, what I mean is let go. Hold it with an open hand. Now, if it's a sin, you better take that thing and throw it as far as you can. But if it's a good thing, hold it with an open hand so that that hand that is open, you can hold on to Jesus. That's what I mean when I say that. Hold on to Jesus because he is the one that you need. Now, after Peter's proclamation, Jesus strictly commanded and charged them not to tell anyone about it. And I believe that this is because it wasn't time for Jesus' true identity as the Messiah to be made known to the crowds. Because most of the Israelites at this time, they were expecting this Messiah to be a political or a military type leader who would rescue the Israelites from the oppression of Rome. But Jesus didn't come as a political revolutionary. He came to deliver them from a greater oppression, the oppression of sin and death and Satan. He came to build God's kingdom. He came to seek and to save the lost. And then in verse 22, Jesus is 
going to prophesy how he's going to seek and to save the lost. And he says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So in this prophecy, Jesus begins by declaring himself to be the Son of Man. Now, this is Jesus' most common title that he calls himself. And this title, Son of Man, refers all the way back to Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel sees a vision of one like a son of man who is presented before God and given everlasting dominion and glory and a kingdom that will never be destroyed. In other words, the Son of Man refers to a king who has all the authority of God. And Jesus is proclaiming that he is this king. And then in the same breath, he says that he must suffer many things and be rejected and killed. So much for a political revolutionary. What good is this Messiah if he's going to die? Why must the Christ suffer and die? Because this is how God promised he would seek and save the lost. This is how God promised he would save his people, as Jarrett just read in Isaiah 53. Jesus is the one who was promised in that passage in Isaiah. Jesus must suffer and be rejected and die to save us from our sins. And that's exactly what he did. For everyone who proclaims that Jesus is the Christ, our Messiah went to the cross to save us from the wrath of God that we deserve for our sins. He satisfied God's wrath in your place. He was rejected by men and by God for you. He is the one that you need for salvation. Or to think about it in a little bit different way. Jesus did not hold on to selfish gain or the things of this world, but he let go of everything to build God's kingdom. He did not live for himself, but he died for the ones that he loves. The king of life died in order to save you from your sins. Jesus, the Christ, gave up his life for you. Jesus, the Christ, let everything go for you. Amen? But that wasn't the end of God's promise. And so Jesus' death is not the end of him. On the third day, Jesus prophesies that he will be raised from the dead. And we know that as we look back, that Jesus was raised from the grave on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He conquered the grave. And he rose from death, conquering sin, death, and Satan. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. The truth that Jesus has been raised from the grave is proof that God has accepted his sacrifice for our sins. And this is why the Apostle Paul can say in Romans 4 that Jesus Christ was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Jesus Christ died to save his people from their sins. 
And then he rose from the grave, and that proved his role as the Messiah. And because of and through his death and resurrection, Jesus is the one that you need. He's the one that you need for salvation. He's the one that you need for sanctification. But he's also the one that you need for joy and contentment and fulfillment. Jesus let go of everything so that you can hold on to him. What are you holding on to? Let go of everything and hold on to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus because he is the one that you need. And hold on to Jesus because he is worth it. So second point this morning, hold on to Jesus because he is worth it. Jesus continues in verse 23, and he says the most radical thing to everyone there. He says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus is the Christ. He is the one that you need. And here he lays out what it costs to follow him. He says that if you want to follow me, you need to take up your cross and you need to deny yourself. To deny yourself means to refuse to pay attention to yourself. It means to completely disregard yourself and live in a completely selfless way. It means literally to hold yourself with an open hand. And this is the exact opposite of what our culture is telling us today. Our world tells us that the self is the center of all things. Our culture says that low self-esteem is the root of all of your problems. That you're struggling because you don't have a high enough view of yourself. I don't think that self-esteem is a biblical concept. Because Jesus says that if you want to follow me, you need to deny yourself, not esteem yourself. Why? Because your worth is not based in yourself. Your worth is based in Christ. And that is good news to our weary souls. If you want to follow Jesus, you need to deny yourself and take up your cross daily. Crucifixion on a cross was the chief means of execution by the Roman government at that time. And it was very common for a person who was condemned to literally carry the cross beam of their cross from the place of judgment to the place of execution. And actually, Jesus himself will do that. But what Jesus is saying here, he's saying that if you want to follow him, you must be willing to take up your cross every single day. If you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to sacrificially give up your life for his sake every single day. If you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to follow him to the death just as he went to the death for you. Following Christ is not about following your selfish desires and passions or dreams. Following Jesus is a call to die to self 
and sin and live for Christ. For you have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. You need to put off yourself and put on Christ. You need to get rid of your selfish sins and desires and cling to Christ. You need to let go of yourself and hold on to Jesus Christ. Instead of self-esteem, Jesus calls you to Christ-esteem. Instead of self-indulgence, Jesus calls you to Christ-indulgence. Instead of following your heart, Jesus calls you to follow Him. And the beauty of all of this is that self-denial and taking up your cross daily allows you to fully and freely follow the Christ. Jesus wants all of you so that you can have all of Him. And there is nothing that will bring you more joy or contentment or fulfillment than fully following the Christ. This is the freedom of self-denial. Hold on to Jesus by denying yourself. Hold on to Jesus because He is worth it. Jesus continues in verse 24. He says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And this is the beautiful paradox of following Jesus. That whoever lives a self-centered life focused on this world only, will actually you will lose your life. Because you, are not, you will not enjoy eternity because you're not living for eternity. But whoever gives up their self-centered life and, foc- and their focus on this world only will actually lose their life. Because they will enjoy eternity because they're living in light of eternity. How often are you focused on yourself and the cares of this world? I believe that our greatest struggles come when we are focused too much on ourselves and too much on the cares of this world. But joy can only be found in Christ by focusing on Him. And so instead of focusing on yourself, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and fix your eyes on Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Instead of focusing on the things of this world, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Instead of enjoying selfish pleasures, enjoy the presence of God where there is fullness of joy. Instead of being overwhelmed by the cares of this world, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and you will have no reason to be anxious. And there's nothing that will bring you more joy or contentment or delight than seeking first the kingdom of God. This is the freedom of losing yourself for the sake of Christ. 
Jesus wants all of you so that you can have all of him. So let go of everything and hold on to Jesus by seeking first the kingdom. Hold on to Jesus because he is worth it. Jesus continues in verse 25. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Living a self-centered life focused on the gains of this world only is simply not worth it. You could gain everything this world has to offer and it would be nothing in comparison to knowing Christ. You could gain all the money in the world and it would still not be as great as following Jesus Christ. One time a millionaire was asked, how many millions of dollars will be enough for you? And he said, the next million. In other words, it will never be enough. I'll always keep chasing the next million and the next million. It will never be enough. Nothing in this world will ever be enough. But my friends, following Jesus is enough. And because he is enough, this passage is a call to reorient your whole life around Jesus the Christ. Just as the earth rotates around the sun, our lives as disciples of Jesus should rotate around Jesus. This is a call to reorient our lives around the Christ. It's a call to die to your selfish lifestyle and live completely centered on Jesus Christ. This could mean that that itch that you have for full-time ministry needs to be prayerfully reconsidered. This might mean that that calling that you have to be a missionary needs to be fully examined. This could mean that you prayerfully consider entering the elder pipeline or that you consider being trained as a CG leader or on our care team. College students, this is a call for you to reorient your future plans in life around the Christ and his mission. Or to say that in another way, instead of focusing on yourself first when you get a job after college, place Jesus first. For others, this might not mean a wholesale change for you, but it might mean reorienting your schedule around Jesus. It might mean reorienting how you do your job and how you relate to others around the Christ. It might mean reorienting your finances around the mission of Jesus. It might mean reorienting your parenting around the Christ and his mission and not your kids. This could mean that you use your singleness to be fully devoted to Jesus Christ. And I urge you to prayerfully consider these things. Because what would it gain you if you gained the whole world and lost your soul? Oh, that we would count everything in this world as garbage in order to gain Jesus Christ. Oh, that we would let go of everything in order that we may gain Christ. You can have this whole world. Just give me Jesus. 
It is worth everything to gain Jesus and to lose the whole world. So let go of everything and hold on to Jesus by reorienting your life around him. Hold on to Jesus because he is worth it. This has been the most convicting sermon that I've ever preached that I can remember. Um, And Jesus isn't even done yet. He continues in verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus is making a bold declaration here. He's saying that he's going to come again as the judge. Again, he declares himself to be the Son of Man. He is the Son of Man, which is this all-authoritative king. And in his first coming, he came as a lamb to be the sacrifice for the sins of his people. But in his second coming, he's going to come as a lion, and he's going to judge the living and the dead. And then he says that we should not be ashamed of him because of that. To preach R.C. Sproul, quote, We have a deep desire not to be embarrassed, not to be ashamed. So we hide our devotion to Christ from the world. But despite all the dangers of the Christian life, despite the hate that the world directs at Christ and his followers, we dare not keep our love for him secret. If we know him, we must openly profess our allegiance to him. Do you know anyone who does not know that you are a Christian? Do all of your family, your friends, your co-workers, do they know that you are a Christian? If not, then take these words of Jesus to heart. If we would be followers of Jesus, we must embrace his suffering, his rejection, his death, and his cross, because that's what it costs to stand with him. And as we count the cost of standing with him, we will realize that it is worth it, because Jesus is worth it. And one day he's going to come back and make all things new, and that will be worth it. My friends, Jesus is better. So live completely for him now because the best is yet to come. Jesus concludes in verse 27. He says, But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Jesus ends our passage with another prophecy. And there are many interpretations to what this prophecy means. But I think a helpful way to think about this prophecy, like most prophecies, is that it has multiple fulfillments. If you went out onto the street here and you faced west, you would see one stoplight after another, after another, after another, some closer, some further. I think this is a helpful way to think about prophecy and prophecies having multiple fulfillments. In this case, I believe that the first fulfillment of this prophecy in verse 27 is the next passage, the transfiguration, where they're literally going to see Jesus in all of his glory. 
And then the next stoplight or fulfillment is the resurrection of Jesus. And then the next stoplight or fulfillment is the coming of Spirit, of the Spirit at Pentecost. And then the next stoplight um, or fulfillment is the kingdom of God spreading through the preaching of the early church. That's how I believe that should be interpreted. But however this verse is interpreted, I don't want us to lose sight of the full reality when the kingdom of God is fully ushered in. Because, my friends, Jesus is going to come back. And if we have professed that he is the Christ, then we will get to share in his glorious eternal kingdom where we will together with all the saints in all creation worship the Christ for all of eternity, where our hearts will be fulfilled in the height and breadth and width of God's love, where our peace will be complete as we stand face to face with our Savior, where we will experience the fullness of joy in the presence of Christ, where our sin will be completely gone, There will be no more anxiety or worry or fear or selfishness or pride or jealousy or gossip or abuse. There will be nothing unclean or impure. Our pain will be completely gone. No more diabetes or COVID or cancer or chronic illness. There will be no more pain or death or mourning or crying anymore because Jesus is going to make all things new. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And at the center of this glorious eternal kingdom is going to be the Christ himself. He's the one that all things are pointing to and all prophecies are fulfilled in. He's the one who saves you completely from all of your sin. He is the one who will completely heal you from all of your brokenness. He is the one who can satisfy all of your longings and desires. He is the one that you need in this, and in this glorious eternal kingdom, you can have him forever and ever without any hindrance. Amen? Amen. But as you wait, let go of everything and hold on to Jesus. As a follower of Christ, we are to follow him at all costs because he alone is worth it. Jesus wants all of you so that you can have all of him. And my friends, that is worth it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, we love you. We thank you for your love for us in Christ. We thank you that you have given us the one that we need, Jesus the Christ. And I pray, O oh God, that we get a glimpse of who he is. I pray that we've gotten a little taste in our mouth for who he is. And I pray, Lord, that the more that we taste, the more that we keep pursuing him and desiring him and chasing after him and following him no matter the cost.
Help us, O Holy Spirit, to let go of everything, to hold everything with an open hand so that we may hold on tightly to Jesus Christ. O God, may we count everything in this world as garbage in order that we may gain Jesus. Help us to reorient our lives around you, Jesus. Help us to not be ashamed of you in front of others, even when it costs something dearly. Help us to live wholeheartedly for you as we wait for your eternal kingdom to come. And may we live in light of that kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. And we wait. Amen.